Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, a prayer for spiritual strength. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. How's everybody doing this morning? Enjoying the temperature drop, I hope, as much as I am. Uh, I'm excited to be with you this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Taylor. I have the opportunity to be one of the pastors here. Uh, at Generation, and so on behalf of our team and our family, we're glad that you joined us this morning, whether you're in here or you're online. I'm going to go ahead and say uh, you see the growth progression on the screen. I forgot it last service. There you go. It's in your notes. Forgot what I named my own message, I guess. So um, uh, I'm excited to continue this journey through what is the book of Ephesians. Um, We have taken it very slow. Uh, And I love studying a book of the Bible this way. Uh, We're finishing up, wrapping up chapter 3 today. This is week 7. So you can see how uh, slow we have done it. It's been super rich. And uh, I've learned a ton of Ephesians. It's always been one of my favorite books. And uh, this series has made me love it even more. So my one challenge to you today is to just dig in, uh, take notes, Uh, Before we go any further, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning uh, for the opportunity to be here as a family, to study your word together as a family. And Holy Spirit, we just pray that you invade our hearts right now, open up our minds to new and fresh revelation and vision of the scriptures, uh, to completely hold on to and feel the weight of what Paul is teaching through this letter to the Ephesians. And so we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. So over the last seven weeks, uh, starting in verse one of chapter one, obviously, we've learned a lot uh, of and even gotten an inside look at who Paul was as the teacher, right? Who Paul is uh, and what he's trying to do in all of his letters. There's a lot of kind of overlap between the letters and a lot of the same issues are being addressed within each letter. But this book of Ephesians, this letter to the Ephesians, Uh, carries a lot of stuff of what uh, we must do as believers, how we should live as believers. And so I want to challenge you today as we uh, unpack this uh, final portion of chapter three, that we realize really the main idea, and that is to uh, have hope. You know, I think Paul, with any letter he wrote to any of the churches he wrote letters to, Um, you could just sense that there was perhaps this 
uh, decrease of hope due to whatever and uh, several different uh, variations of reasons that they needed hope for and to realize that they had hope the whole time and his name is Jesus. And so we get this letter that Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, knowing what we've learned over the last few weeks um, and how we can apply this to our lives today. And so um, what we see here, this verses 14 through 21 is a prayer. Uh, This is the second prayer that Paul has prayed over the church at Ephesus in three chapters. Uh, Pastor Ray taught on the first prayer uh, in chapter one, the end of chapter one. And now we have this second prayer. Okay, the book of Ephesians, you could say, is divided into two portions. This first prayer is more of Paul's explanation uh, of things that we should know, things that we sh- have, should have already experienced. And the next three chapters are basically his, okay, now go and do it. Go and live it. This is what you should know to live. Chapter four starts with the idea of unity. So we know within the church that unity is a very important thing. And so he gives us kind of the basics of now that we know, now we should go do. And so it's going to be uh, really neat to kind of shift into a little bit different of a mindset uh, starting next week in chapter four. But if you were to look at these two prayers between chapter one and now in chapter three, each prayer was a bit different. Okay, the first prayer, Paul's kind of praying more of a prayer of enlightenment, meaning he's wanting them to realize. Have you ever heard someone say the phrase, enlighten me? Like you're usually asking them, they're usually asking to explain this to me better, explain uh, what I need to know so that I can move forward. This prayer, the prayer we're going to look at today, is more of a prayer of enablement. You know, this kind of kickstart into what he's getting ready to teach them in the final three chapters, a prayer of enablement. A lot of times you, maybe you, I know for for myself, I need a little uh, enablement. I need to be told, it's like a rallying of the troops kind of thing. It's like a coaching uh, pregame or halftime speech. And uh, before we get to that, what I want to do to start off uh, with this letter, with this prayer, is to kind of look at it uh, from a verse that Pastor Luis ended with last week and where we're going to end today. And this, and point out this progression, if you will, that we can apply to our lives to not only fully experience what Paul is teaching, but also um, be who God is calling us to be. And so Ephesians 3, 11 through 12, it says, this is according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Notice how this doesn't say through our faith in us, through our faith in our own ability, through our faith in what we think we're good at. It's in him, faith in him. Who is him? Jesus. And so Paul is wanting them uh, to realize you are who you are because of who he is. That, you know, the issue that we're going to get to in a second that we've seen in Ephesians is that perhaps they were doing everything right, but they were forgetting the main thing. And then the, the last verse for us today in our text for today's reading, Ephesians three twenty 
through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And so my hope for today is that what I believe Paul was wanting them to see and what we can apply to our lives today are going to kind of connect these two verses, okay? And there's going to be this progression building up to the other. So let's recap just a little bit. So Paul is writing this letter from Rome in prison, chained to a guy uh, in his jail cell, but he is overcome with compassion for the people he's writing this. I mean, think about it. Like he, This isn't like he gets an idea and he could just send a quick email or a text message and they're going to immediately get this message. Like there's a lot of time that's going to pass before they get this letter from it to get to Rome to Ephesus, right? There's a lot of, a lot of distance between them, but he's overcome with compassion. And we know that they're writing this letter because there is an issue with false teaching within the church now in Ephesus, um, both outside of the church and inside of the church. What do I mean by that? There's probably some kind of false ideologies from other religions uh, kind of creeping into this city, right? Paul is writing this letter to largely a Gentile audience, so there's no telling what they've probably heard. But there's also these false teachings between Jews and Gentiles. So Paul also has the goal to unify the Gentiles and the Jewish believers, that you are one church. There's not a Jewish church and a Gentile church. There is a Christian church. We're one body, and he's wanting to unify that. And so why is he writing this, right? Other than wanting to narrow the gaps between these issues, what is he really wanting them to see? And so consider this writing or this portion that we're going to go over today is kind of the intermission of Ephesians, kind of the halftime speech or the seventh inning stretch before he gets in. You know, like maybe, you know, the first three chapters, Paul's really addressing the issue. And then in this prayer, what he's praying over them is kind of like, hey, here's what you need to adjust to. Here's the adjustments that you need to make so that now you could go make a difference in the life, not only your life, but the lives of those people around us. That this is the first step to unifying the church. This is the first step to being strong enough to ignore the false teachings and all the issues coming into the church and unifying as one church. I think we could all agree that especially in America, we could use a little bit of unifying within the American church. And so I, I feel that this strongly applies to this same message. So I get this approach as kind of like a coach. It's in the middle of football season now. I grew up uh, in sports being a very large part of my life. And when I was preparing for this, I, it reminded me of um, a story my senior year in high school. I was actually just texting one of my buddies that this story involves um, we were, it was like the third or fourth game of our senior year. I had just gotten released uh, from physical therapy from tearing my ACL to play. So I had one, maybe one full week of practice. I wasn't confident. I wasn't comfortable. My legs still hurt. I had to wear one of these big bulky braces. And if you've ever seen, you know, a baseball player, like one leg looked three times the size of the other leg. It's just kind of awkward. And I wasn't hitting very well. Uh, the team we were playing uh, was kind of our friendly rival. 
Uh, we had one rival we couldn't stand and one rival that we were kind of friends with. Um, and one of my closest friends was on the other team, just happened to be dating my sister at the time. Um, and so we were, you know, a little banter back and forth that day. And uh, it's a close game, uh, mainly because they have a pitcher that was on his way to get drafted by the Atlanta Braves uh, right after this uh, baseball season ended. And uh, so we knew we had a hard time hitting him. And our goal was hopefully that they would take him out before the game ended so they could bring someone in that was throwing a lot slower than him. And they did. And so we, I come off the field, and one of my coaches, and it was our pitching coach at that, like stops me. I was up fourth that inning. So there's a good chance I might not hit at all that inning. But for whatever reason, he came up to me and just looked me dead in the face and says, I need you to do whatever you need to do to prepare yourself to win this game. And then just walks off. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, I'm not even sure I'm going to hit. I don't know that I've gotten a hit yet this year, but what does that mean? How do I mentally prepare myself to win the game? And so I, I like my friend Corey, he, I think we were just texting. We weren't sure if it was uh, if he hit right after me or if there was someone in between us. But he was kind of around when that conversation happened. And I just remember thinking in my head, like literally as I'm walking up to hit, I'm like, what, what was that? And uh, so I go up to hit and sure enough, the bases are loaded. So I ended up hitting and then uh, this guy throws a pitch and I hit a grand slam. So we end up going up by four runs and then my friend Corey uh, whether it was back-to-back -back or not, ends up hitting another home run. And so we gladly take all the credit for winning. But even after that, this is kind of where that whole thing changed. I remember sitting on the bench in the dugout after I just hit a, you know, a grand slam. I had all this adrenaline pumping up. Uh, it's going to sound real country, but this is where I'm from. The baseball field we are playing at uh, was, in right field was nothing but trees. And so a lot of the team that we we're playing, the students were sitting in these trees in deer stands uh, that they would show up before the game and set up. And so, and they would always have like a, they would hang between two deer stands, a bullseye for their team. Uh, but I hit it right at the bullseye and I wasn't on their team. So it was really kind of the most redneck country looking vision thing to hit a home run and see the ball going. And then there's just tree stands everywhere watching the game. But um, I remember sitting in the dugout and be like, I can't believe that just happened. You know, and sometimes I think back to that coach saying, you know, mentally prepare yourself to win the game. And it's like he didn't really tell me much to do, but he gave me a perspective to even think about, is there an adjustment that I do need to make? I didn't have much confidence at all in myself going into this at bat or going into this game because I haven't even been able to train along with the rest of my team because I was doing physical therapy. And I get this feeling that Paul is, is at that same position. Maybe their team has been dropping or missing assignments, not running the right plays, missing golden opportunities to do something big, but they're so focused on the noise around them and the things going on that they're falling short in the matter. I think this is a lot to do with, you know, the same issue that what they're having, right? A few weeks ago, we talked about the letter that the church at Ephesus gets 
or receives in the book of Revelation in chapter 2. It says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and not bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. What's wrong with that, right? If you just read that part, you're like, man, the church of of Ephesus is really knocking it out of the park right now, right? They're doing everything right. They're serving. They're calling out the people that's wrong. They're able to see the people that are wrong. So what's the issue? If you go on to read that passage, it says, but you have forgotten your first love. So is it possible that we can live our lives looking like the good Christian or being the poster child of Christianity and be an absolute train wreck on the inside? Is it possible that we could be doing everything right on the outside and everything wrong on the inside? It's easy to do that. It's easy to open up your Bible and think, well, I read my Bible today. Let me check that off the list. Or I pray today, let me check this off the list. When your life becomes more about obligation and duty than it does about opportunity and the simple fact of being in God's presence, you're going to feel like you fall short every time. Even if you are reading scripture, even if you are praying, even if you go to the same small group every week, Those things aren't meant to be the framework of your faith. They're meant to sustain your faith. And if that's where our faith goes, then we too might be doing exactly what the letter that they're getting and ultimately why Paul is praying this over them right now is for them to realize, like we talked about a few weeks ago, is to realize that you aren't rich by what you can do, but you're rich by who God the Father is and what he's done for you, by who God the Son is and what he did for you on the cross and what God the Holy Spirit's doing on the inside of you. That's why you're rich. And so he's kind of reverting back to that. And I heard this quote earlier this week, and I can't remember who it was from, but it says that there has to be a work of God in you before you can do something for him. Because if there is no work of God on the inside, if there is no work of God on your heart, if you're constantly spinning your tires, then you're falling short somewhere. And it's hard to be able to have or do anything for God if he has not first, more so if you have not allowed him to do the work on you in the first place. And this is the challenge that we have. And so maybe you're here today and you've, you grew up in church and you, you kind of were raised more in the performance faith or performance based uh, faith where you had to earn it or you had to do something uh, or you were more doing it for recognition from the people that you went to church with or whatever the case may be. Maybe you have a struggle going on in your life or a sin in your life that you feel like you can't particularly surrender or get a, hold, get a strong grip on. Um, and you think that I need to just do more so I don't feel as bad. I think when we have that mindset that that's when we realize that we need Jesus in the first place. And maybe this is where the people of Ephesus were. They were performance-based. 
but yet they were missing it. They were so close, yet so far away. And sometimes we just need to understand that it's not what we can do that allows us to overcome, but it's about who is in us that's already overcame. That if we live under that umbrella, if we live in complete surrender to Jesus, then we're able to uh, live in this verse that 1 John says. It says, little children, 1 John 4, 4, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The world has a lot of stuff to offer, and a lot of times it looks way shinier than it is, and then you experience it, and it may help for a while, but then you realize that what you needed, not something in this world to make you great, but all the greatness you need is already in you, and we have to live in that. So the other night I was putting uh, Olivia to sleep, and kind of our routine with her is that we'll lay in her floor and she'll be in her bed and we'll read books and then pray. And uh, sometimes like this particular night, uh, she'll talk you into playing one final game of doctor or something like that. And so I'm laying on my stomach and I'm reading something or not really paying much attention if we're being honest. And she thinks I need cast because if you haven't seen her, she fell in here one Sunday after church and fractured her wrist and so now she's got a cast on her arm so every time you play it has something to do with her putting a cast on you and uh, she tells me I need a cast on both of my feet she gets to the cast part she used a pencil as a shot and let me tell you if you're ticklish and she jabs you in the bottom of the foot with a number two pencil it hurts (laughs) and uh, so after that uh, unfortunately my feet did not go numb Um, but she says, what color cast do you want? And I said, yellow. She's like, we don't have that. I'm like, okay, I guess we're not using our imagination. So I said, purple. And she goes, okay, perfect. And I feel her doing this stuff to my feet, and she goes, okay, we're all done. And I look down, and she, in fact, colored both of my feet with a purple crayon. And so I share that story because it is funny, but that same night, uh, I think it was either the night after. So we had the women's conference on Saturday. Saturday night, uh, Shelby had had a portion in her message about rocks and how Joshua told them all to get 12 stones to uh, remind generation from generation of what God did as they crossed into the Jordan. And remember this, like, revelation, like, you forgot your first love. And it kind of dawned on me and it kind of spoke to me in a little bit of a different way because how often do you find yourselves in your own life where you forget your first love? I know for me, a lot of times, the biggest image of Jesus that I have in my life is when I'm trying to do stuff my own way and it's like, you know, barricade after barricade and uh, I'm like, God, where are you? I thought I was doing the right thing. And literally all I had to do was turn around and he was behind me the whole time trying to, you know, he's not going to force himself on us. Sometimes I think we wish he would, but he's not going to force himself on us, but he never leaves us. And when you're in those seasons, it just reminded me when I saw this rock, I'm not uh, really surprised anymore when we find the things that we find that Olivia got from somewhere uh, but this was a rock I'm pretty sure she stole out of someone's uh, flower bed. And uh, it just reminded me, like, don't forget your first love. 
this message that Paul is, maybe this is the one key message. Don't forget your first love. Nothing else matters. What you do, how you serve, what you say, how much you know, none of that matters if you forget your first love, if you're not connected to Jesus, if he's not the center of your life. And as he goes into this idea of Paul, and like we mentioned, like this is like Paul's halftime speech. Make an adjustment. Go do this. Uh, apply this to your life. And if you do this, you'll experience God the way you're supposed to, the way he wants you to. And if you don't, you're going to keep spinning your tires in the way that you feel lost and you feel like you're trying to do it all on your own. And that's where anxiety comes in and fear comes in and pain comes in and rem remembrances of the pain in your life instead of being rooted in the things that you should. And so we all know about Paul or Jesus's great commission in Matthew 28. To me, this is Paul's great commission. You know, even as it pertains to a lot of his other letters, and maybe some of his letters were even written before this one, but this is just like a rallying cry to be all that God has called you to be and the way he wants you to experience God in his life. So I kind of look at this as Paul's great commission. And so what I want to do over the next few minutes is just kind of break down this passage of scripture for today and how, what it speaks to us. And you're going to see this progression from the first thing to the last thing and how if we apply these to our lives, then we have a prepared heart for what we're going to learn over the next few weeks and how to live the way that we're supposed to. And so you'll see this in your notes, but the first, number one, is that Paul wants you to be strengthened and his prayer is to be strengthened through the Spirit. Ephesians 3.16 says that according to, his, to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. And another great image of this verse too, and it'll explain it a lot in just a second, is Proverbs 27.19. It says, as in water, the face reflects face. So the heart of a man reflects the man. And so the more I read over this one portion of, of scripture, you know, like whenever you hear like be strengthened by the spirit or to receive God's strength, you kind of take that as, well, this is where my power and stuff comes from, which is true. But I don't want you to look at this as like, I'm just asking for the spirit of God to fall on me and strengthen me so I can just go out and do all this cool stuff. What I want you to see within this is this one phrase, and it's kind of towards the end, or it is the end, the inner being or the inner man. When I hear that phrase, I think of my soul and my spirit. We are all made up of like mind, will, and emotions or body, soul, and spirit. And if we live by the body, our flesh, that's when we go astray. That's when things get hard. But if we are strong and healthy within our soul and in our spirit, I believe that we're the closest thing to the perfect person that God has created you to do. Because it's through your soul and your spirit that you're connected to God. Your flesh is the outside, what you see, what you're doing, how you handle things. And so if we can crucify our flesh and allow God to fill and strengthen our inner man, then we are able to start this progression, right? Because how often do you feel like you're lost when you're trying to fix things on your own? That it's your flesh 
that's struggling when you're struggling with your sin. It's your flesh that what falls to temptations. It's your, like, why else would it say that we need to crucify our flesh? Because when our flesh is on top or in the lead or taking control of our lives, then our soul and our spirit has no room to breathe. It has no room to grow. To grow. It's almost like our flesh has to submit to our spirit. If our flesh doesn't submit to our spirit and we try to do it the other way around, we're going to be weak every time. Does that make sense? And so when we understand that and we realize, just like the verse in Proverbs said, that the heart of a man reflects a man. We know in scripture that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? That that's where evil can come from. That's where perverse talk can come from. But there is a possibility where you could purify your heart and that comes when there is a submission of your flesh to your spirit. And that's why I think it's important that Paul is saying, my prayer for you is that your, that, um, the power you will receive will be strengthened through the spirit, not by anything that you could do, and I, I, I'm always reminded when I think of this, of the story uh, in the garden when Peter, James, and John, when all Jesus asked them to do was to stay up and pray, and they couldn't. And I know like all of that was supposed to happen, and you know that's what makes the story of Jesus and that process of him being arrested and then ultimately going to the cross and then into the tomb and walking out of the tomb is all part of, of the story and, and what makes it uh, so powerful for us, but what if they would have stayed up? We don't know what would have happened, but could it have? Possibly. But what it says in Matthew twenty six forty one, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? So it's interesting that when he's simply asking them to stay up and pray, his response to them is to Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. From the level, you're like, well, they're just tired, right? But they perhaps could have helped a lot more or been a lot more powerful if, they're, if they weren't kind of succumbing to the desires of the flesh in that moment instead of what the Spirit was willing to do in them. I will take a willing spirit over a strong flesh any day. Because a willing spirit gives God a stronghold to do the impossible in your life. But a, a, when you live by the flesh, you stay with the devil and the enemy having a stronghold in your life. And it'll take you further and further away from having a strong spirit. So number two is that Christ would dwell in your heart. Ephesians 13, 17, or Ephesians 3, 17, a, the beginning of that verse, says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I think that this verse right here really kind of uh, is the glue to everything else that we've talked about up until this point and where we're going to go from here. Because if you don't have Jesus dwelling inside of you, then there's not much else or much of a direction that you can go for God. Right? You know, the whole saying, like inviting Jesus into your heart and things like that. Like, some of those are just sayings that I think, especially as the American church, that we don't put a lot of weight to. But when it comes to Christ dwelling in your heart, 
that means that he's living inside of you, that he has control of your life. And if we're not able to do that, then we're not able really to move forward. So in the original language, the word dwell is used. It simply just means to inhabit or to settle. So if you move into a new house, you are inhabiting that house. That becomes your dwelling place, right? And so I doubt any of us would move into a new house and walk in there and it looked like an absolute train wreck, right? I don't know if you ever rented a hotel or an Airbnb and you show up and it's like, what is this, right? We have to kind of view that the same way with Jesus moving into our heart when we control our lives. When Christ dwells within your heart and looks on the walls, is he at home? Is he comfortable with what he sees? Or when he knocks on the door, do we say, wait a minute, and we go around and try to cover everything up or turn things around backwards? It's a pretty sobering thought, right? And there's beauty in this. It's kind of like a beautiful storm, so to speak, but like a lot of us live in that area. Like it's not shortchanging the fact of that we've messed up at times in our life or we've struggled with sins or that Jesus has freed us from a lot and that our heart is still kind of growing from that. But we have to fully allow Jesus to move into our heart. We have to fully give our lives to God so that he could completely abide and dwell in our heart if we're ever going to allow or if we're ever going to be all that Jesus has called us to be. We have to continually allow that to happen. Maybe some of you have allowed yourselves to just, you know, run around and try to cover things up because you know that Jesus will save you from it anyways. That's not the right perspective to have. But if we work to repent, like, like David, like King David, he royally messed up a lot and did some really bad things. But he still always had the reputation that he was a man after God's own heart. And you can't be a man after God's own heart if you're unwilling to turn from the things that's dirtying up your heart. And so that's the picture that we have to hold on to. So once we allow God or allow Jesus to dwell in our hearts, to take full reign of our heart, not just the bedroom, not just you know, the mother-in-law suite in the backyard maybe, but the whole thing, then we're able to take the next step. And that is that you would be rooted in love. And this is kind of just to me a little bit of maybe like a secondhand statement to the one above. But what does it mean to be rooted in love? It means that you, like you grow deep in what you have. I don't know if any of you garden or like in our backyard, there's vines that grow everywhere and those stinking roots are so hard to get rid of. Like that's how we have to be when it comes to our faith and our relationship with God. Like that's where our faith has to grow. That's where we have to be rooted in and be grounded in God's love. Not what we have. We can't just fit God into our equation and we can't just fit what we're trying to do and to you know, put God in a box. We have to be rooted in God's love. And I love what 1 John 4.16 says. It says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. 
And so the phrase to pull from that verse is that love is God. So you could say that Paul's prayer is for you to be rooted and grounded in God. Not just love as the action or love as the verb, but as a person. Rooted in God, meaning everything he has for you. When you're rooted in God, then you grow deep in your spirit, you grow deep in your faith, not in your flesh. And so when we're able to do that, and I think this is kind of that, you know, the progression that Paul is encouraging the the church of Ephesus is like, just be rooted in God. Everything else will come. Everything will come that you need to live the way you're supposed to live and be who you're supposed to be and influence the way you're supposed to influence if you're rooted in God. And so you kind of see this progression from being strengthened by the Spirit to allowing uh, Jesus Christ to dwell in your heart, now to being rooted in God, which brings us to number four, which is that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Ephesians three eighteen through 19 says, uh, that you may have strength to comprehend with, comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to now and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So what does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? I think we know what it means to fill something up. Like maybe you've uh, been like me and eaten a meal or something and you're fully aware of what you're full of. And you would rather be full of anything else uh, but what you just ate. And you feel awful and you feel like you're going to get sick or maybe you need to get your gallbladder cut out or something like that. But what does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? The short answer is being filled with the fullness of God is giving God complete control of your life. But if you were to take everything that we've talked about this far, it's like an equation. To be filled with the fullness of God is to live a life that is strengthened by the Spirit, that has a heart that Jesus dwells in or inhabits, and is rooted in God, then you have been filled with the fullness of God. And so as the band comes up and we get ready to close, I want you to feel the weight of that. Because if we don't have vision, if we don't have the idea and we see this happening in our lives, then it's going to be really hard to buy into it and to allow it to resonate in your heart and to let it transform your life. But when you realize what it took for us to have what we have, what it took for Jesus to go to the cross, what it took for God and sacrificing his only son. Like Pastor Roger said in in his transition, you deserve to be on the cross. You deserve to die for your sins. I mean, the Bible is even clear about that. For the wages of sin is death. And there is only way to receive life, and that is through Jesus. Right? Right? John 10, 10, the second part, I have come to give life and to give life to the full. 
And so my heart's desire for you today is to experience this because if you're anything like me, I know exactly how you feel if you feel like you can't do it or that it's too hard or that you're almost to the point of giving up. But I can promise you that if we can live a life where we are strengthened by the Spirit and Jesus dwells in our heart, we're rooted in God, then we get to live in the fullness of God. Which means, and don't get this confused, is that I'm challenging you to live perfect or to live this perfect life, but you have the one that is perfect and is pure living through you. That's where perfection comes. Not in anything you could do, but what Jesus has already done. And that dwells in you and pours out of you to the people around you. That's the whole point. Christianity, a life with Jesus, is not for us to just believe this, come here on Sundays, and go home, and not live anything, like, and nobody know. It's not a secret religion. It's the religion. It's the relationship. And so everything you've experienced up until this point, everything that you're holding on to, good or bad, still has purpose. And with God being the center of your life, it will transform your life and the lives around you. And so what does this mean as we close out of this and prepare our hearts to now be taught by Paul how to live You know, the whole saying, uh, walk the walk or talk the talk, like living that way, like these first three chapters are the talk portion. Now the next three is how do you walk it? How do you walk it out? How do you live the way you're supposed to? And if we can apply this prayer and allow Paul's passion and speaking this over the church of Ephesus and allow that same prayer to be spoken over us today, then there's only one thing that can happen and our lives will be transformed. So, if you're sitting there today and you think that it can't happen for you, if you're sitting there today thinking that you've messed up too much or you're going to continue to mess up, then that's where Ephesians 3.20 comes in. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. It doesn't say now to you, go be perfect. Now to you, stop sinning. It says now to him who is able, who will transform your life if you let him, who will free you from the sin that you think you can't let go of. I've had those moments in my own life where I felt like a sin or struggle in my life was just who I am. I remember struggling with something uh, the first couple years of college. And I remember literally laying on my bedroom floor in my apartment, uh, crying out to God, wondering why I could never get over it, why, why it always came back. And I remember feeling like I didn't hear anything from him. And so I got up, I went to the gym because I couldn't sleep. And uh, I think the gym that I was going to uh, had bagels that morning. So it made sense. 
And I remember thinking at the gym that day was like, the effort that I'm putting in to work out right now is the same effort I feel like I'm putting in to trying to overcome this issue that just kept me up all night. And I realized that it's not my effort that's ever going to get me over that sin in my life, but it's what Jesus had already done on the cross for me. My effort, you can call it effort, is just going to get in the way again at some point. And so if you're sitting there today and you think you've asked for the very best thing in your life, maybe you're struggling with singleness right now and you've envisioned in your life what your spouse is going to look like, what your wedding day is going to look like, what your marriage is going to look like, guess what? God can do abundantly more than what you're thinking right now. Maybe you're, you're struggling with fertility issues and you want a family so bad you can't stand it. Guess what? God can do more than what you're envisioning in your head right now. Maybe you've had addiction your entire life and you could see yourself getting on the other side of it, but your mind only stops at seeing yourself not being addicted anymore. Guess what? God can do more than that because he's adding purpose to that. God can do and will do abundantly more than you could think or imagine. You could, someone could ask you, hey, what's your perfect day? God could do better. You could think of your dream job. God can do better. But you have to allow him to do better. If you want to live in the abundant blessing of God that's greater than you could think, ask, or imagine, you have to surrender to God. You have to be rooted in him. You have to clean out your whole house. You have to be willing to get rid of all the stuff that's been in your closet for years. Jesus deserves every ounce, every space of your heart. And you will never fully experience that unless you give him every ounce of your entire heart. And that's our prayer for you today that Jesus wants to transform your heart. He wants to show you that he is better. I love the challenge. Taste and see that he's better, right? I challenge you. Taste and see that he's better. And so, Father, I pray this morning as we wrap up this portion of chapter 3, God, we want all of you. You must become greater and we must become less. Help us see what we have to do to live out that encouragement. Help us understand what we have to do to live and be filled in the fullness of who you are. Holy Spirit, strengthen us. Help us to, to surrender our flesh so that you could crucify it, to let go of everything that we're holding on to. Lord, fill us with your heart. Help us see the way that you see. Help us see ourselves the way that you see us. And Lord, as we worship you right now, let your presence invade our hearts and let us walk out of here and never be the same. Lord, I pray that we walk out of here glowing and radiating your presence. And Lord, we give you all the glory. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.